Welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Down through the centuries, when Christians have gathered together on Easter, but other times as well, there's been a call and response uh, where one person says he is risen, and then the other responds with, um, he is risen indeed. Yeah, some of you know it. Very good. Okay. So why don't we try that this morning? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, that was amazing. See, we've warmed up. That's good. What's amazing, think about this. On this day, not just millions, but billions of people are gathering all around the world to celebrate the reality of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. How cool is that, that what we're doing is joining in with the symphony of Christians all around the world. And here's the reason why. The resurrection is the defining moment in Christianity. The defining moments, like like what defines who we are as Christians and makes this possible, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, all of Christianity hinges on this singular historical event. And you may not know this. You may never have thought of this. You may have thought, well, it's all the good teaching of Jesus. That's what makes Christians, Christians, or maybe it's this philosophical, religious, you know, dogma. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then this is a waste of time. But if he did, then all that he said is true and trustworthy, and you can take it to the bank. I love how G.K. Chesterton put it. He said, it's never been quite enough to say that God is in heaven and all is right with the world, since the rumor is that God has left his heavens to set it right. This morning, we celebrate the defining moment for our world that God has come to set things right. Uh, There's been a book I've really enjoyed lately. It's uh, by Chip and Dan Heath. They're Uh, researchers, New York Times best-selling authors. Um, The book's called The Power of Moments. In it, they write, our lives are measured in moments. And defining moments are the ones that endure in our memories. Think about this. There are certain moments that have a disproportionate impact on your life, don't they? There are certain moments in your life that actually shape the very course of your life. And even as I talk about that and spoke of that certain moment, the image flashed in your mind. A very moment stood up. For some, it was a graduation. For others, it was a wedding. For some, it was painful. It was was a divorce or the loss of a loved one. For some, it was that word of encouragement, wasn't it? Like someone believed in you. And that moment was this shaping of the trajectory of your future. And for others, it was a word of criticism, wasn't it? And and for some in this room, you have been trying to prove your mom and your dad wrong for the entirety of your life because of that moment, that word, that harsh, that criticism. Because isn't that true? Who we become 
is profoundly impacted and shaped by the defining moments of our life. And here's why. A defining moment acts a little bit like a first domino that sets off this chain reaction in our lives. Let me give you a a little example. I I have this picture here for you. Isn't Isn't that nice? This picture doesn't represent totally a defining moment, and, and yes, we were very young. This is my wife and I when we were dating. Uh, she was at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, go Mustangs. Um, every time she does it, she does, she does this, go Mustangs. Um, but nobody from Cal Poly does that anymore, apparently. <laughs> and yes, I had very spiky hair, and no, we're not 15. The next picture is actually a defining moment, but I just wanted you to see us because this one, we didn't, I couldn't find the original. Yes, people, this was before digital. Um, and so the only picture I had was so pixelated, you can't even barely see. We're a blurry blob right there. This is the moment we got engaged. Overlooking the uh, ocean at Capitola and Um, You'll notice I had, uh, there's some guitars in the background. You might be wondering what those guitars were. I asked her to marry me, and I played a song. I wrote a song for her, and so I thought, I might play the song for you too this morning. And so, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Now, Now, I had no idea. I had no idea what hung in the balance in that moment when I got on my knee and I asked this woman to spend the rest of, my, of her life with me. And that yes in that moment would shape a trajectory of our lives and significant moments of dominoes that would happen ever since. I mean, this is almost 17 years ago and the life that we've had and enjoyed and experienced. You see, who we become is profoundly shaped by the defining moments of our life, both good and bad. The defining moment, now think about this, okay, let's come back with me. The defining moment of Christianity is the resurrection. However, now think about this. However, it was not a defining moment for one of his followers, Peter in particular. It was actually a moment after the resurrection that was the defining moment for Peter. And chances are, you've showed up this morning, and we're talking about he is risen, he is risen indeed, and you're like, this is cool. Actually, I just got bribed to come here because I heard about an awesome brunch, and they were paying, and so, hello, uh, thank you very much. Or they lied to me. I thought we were going to brunch and said we had to stop. Thank you. What in the world is going on? And now I'm here. And if you're being honest, you'd say, yeah, the resurrection is not a defining moment for me either. But could it be that there is a moment after the resurrection that would be your defining moment with God? Peter, he was a fisherman, uh, family business on the Sea of Galilee, worked it with his brother Andrew. They would work the night's. All night long, in the morning, they'd sell what they've caught, and then they'd rest during the day. There was this itinerant preacher that was traveling in the area. He was gaining notoriety and publicity. He was an incredible teacher, and people loved to hear what he said. They hung on every word, and 
And he was performing these miracles. And day by day by day, the crowd was growing. I mean, you put it in our context. It, it was kind of like the Coachella of the ancient world. Well, one day, one day Jesus is in the same area where Peter's at. And the crowd is so thick and intense that Jesus turns to Peter there as he's mending his nets after a long night fishing. He says, can I use your boat? I need some space because I, I just need to back away from the crowd so I can teach. Can, can you just put out a few yards so that I can teach the crowd? And he spends time teaching the crowd. And when he's done, he turns to Peter. He looks at him and he says this. He, he says, would you put out into deep water and let the nets for a catch? Let down the nets for a catch. Peter, think about this. Exhausted from a long night work. He's ready to go home. He just finished cleaning the nets, put his feet up, watched the Warriors game. And Peter said, Master, we've worked hard all night. I haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Translation, this is a waste of time. Um, Jesus, how about this? How about the professional fishers Do the fishing, and we'll let you do the teaching. Stay in your lane. But because of respect, we'll go ahead and do it. They go out. They cast out their nets. And as they're drawing them up, a catch so big, it is, it is stretching the capacity of their nets. They're afraid if they try to pull it in, it will rip their nets. They call some of their fishing partners, James and John, that's another brother duo that they was partnered together. And, and they call them over to help them bring this catch all the way in. They get it into shore, exhausted from just trying to drag this weight in. And they're looking at the catch of their lives, and Jesus stares at them. And in this moment, he, he calls them to something bigger than they could ever dream of, something that was beyond what they could imagine. He, he says, would you follow me? And from this day forward, you'll no longer catch fish, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Now think about this. After having the catch of their life, they left their nets and followed Jesus. Three years they followed Jesus. They walked with him. They went everywhere Jesus went. They learned from him. As a follower of a rabbi, they were to walk and step with him and learn to do the very things that the rabbi had done. They watched Jesus turn lepers heal. Lame people are now walking. Blind are receiving sight. In fact, I mean, this was astounding. Even the wind and the waves obeyed his voice. And it was Peter. Think about this. It was Peter who had the courage, the audacity in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee as he's seeing Jesus walk on water, which that's what God can do, yeah? And, and, and he's like, hey, if you call me, I'll go out to you. And it was Peter who walked on water with Jesus. And it was Peter. It was Peter who first recognized who Jesus was, that he wasn't just a good man, he wasn't just a great prophet, but he was the son of God. And it was to Peter who Jesus says, you know what? You're such a leader, Peter. I know that rhymes. It wasn't intentional. You're such a leader, Peter. Upon you, I'm going to build my church. 
And it was on Peter on the night Jesus was betrayed. Where he would boast his allegiance to Jesus. I mean, he said it this way. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And emphatically, he says it again. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. You have changed my life and it has been so profound and significant that I will pay the ultimate price for you. And as many know the story of Peter, it was Peter, unfortunately, a few hours later, who didn't just disown Jesus once, but three times. As Jesus was arrested in the wee hours of the night and taken for an illegal trial before the Sanhedrin, Peter sneaks in in the court area and he's trying to get a glimpse and see what's happening to his Lord and Savior. And there's a, a charcoal burning in fire where the servants are gathering and warming themselves. And so he's looking in and seeing what's happening and he's warming himself around a charcoal file fire and a servant girl comes up to him and says, aren't you with Jesus? And he says, no, I'm not. And then she's going like to other people. He, no, no, no. I think this guy's a Galilean. Listen to his accent. He's a Galilean. He's got to be with Jesus. No, he's not. In fact, he said it this way. I never knew the man. He crumbled under the questioning of a servant girl. And on the third time, notice this. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. <laughs> Peter disowned his Savior within eyesight and earshot. I never knew the man. And Jesus turned as he's under trial and sees him in the courtyard. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Make no mistake. Of all the moments of Peter's life, this now was the defining moment of his life. Think about it. All his life was building up to crashed and burned in the single moment. The sudden realization that he was not the man he wanted to be or thought he was. That he broke under the pressure. That he disowned the one he loved and followed. He would carry, he would carry for the rest of his life the weight of denying his Lord. And isn't it true? Failure has a way of casting a disproportionate shadow on our future, doesn't it? Our shame and regret, our pain and guilt, it just follows us. And the next day, and the next day, Jesus was executed on a Roman cross. Peter didn't even get the chance to say, I'm sorry. Didn't even get the chance to go, my bad. 
and what he left, his fishing nets and thriving business behind, the movement that began died and all hope was lost. Can you imagine? The amount of guilt Peter felt. The shame that swept over him. When Jesus needed him most, Peter, Peter who was to be the rock, crumbled under the pressure. Failure. Failure has a way of casting a disproportionate shadow on our future, doesn't it? Sunday morning came. Mary Magdalene and other women show up to the tomb in the early morning hours. They weren't showing up so that others would, um, you know, to see the empty tomb. They were showing up to finish the burial preparation of Jesus' body. This is actually, by the way, just a side note, one of the reasons I trust the gospel accounts among many. They would never say or describe this event this way unless it actually happened. In the ancient day, a woman's word was not considered authoritative. It was not admissible in the court of law, and it wasn't considered credible. And so to say that Mary Magdalene and others were the first two were the eyewitnesses to the resurrection was to discredit the accounts. If they were going to write it and want to really make it credible, they would say one of the disciples or some prominent man. And yet again, we see through Jesus' ministry, the elevation and equality of all people. And I believe it happened this way because that's exactly what they said. Mary shows up, sees the empty tomb distraught. An angel shows up and says, he is risen just as he said. She encounters the risen Lord, runs back to the disciples. Now think about this. Peter and John are there. They hear it. They're like, nah. No, Mm -mm. they sprint to the tomb and see it's empty just as they said. They encountered the risen Lord. This is the defining moment. This. This moment is the defining moment of Christianity. This is the moment we've gathered. Jesus is alive He's alive. He's alive right now, friends, by the way. He's not just like back then. He's been alive ever since. The tomb is empty. Now, here's what's interesting. What's interesting is what Peter did after the resurrection. Maybe you've never noticed this before. Jesus has risen, and Peter's back on the boat. Even after the resurrection, Peter no longer feels worthy to be a fisher of men, so he goes back to being a fisherman. Peter saw the risen Jesus and concluded his failure disqualified him. And I think that's where some of us have walked into this room this morning. If there is a God... There is a good and loving God. He wouldn't want anything to do with me. I'm a failure. I'm a screwed up. You know how many times I've denied him? Actually, Ingram, I've kind of done the church thing, and I walked away from him. I've gone back and forth, and I've just, he would never want me. I'm damaged good. 
I'm a failure. You know one of the great things about defining moments? Chip and Dan Heath in their book, The Power of Moments, tell us that you don't have to wait for a defining moment. You can actually create defining moments. And they tell us why these moments are so powerful. In their book, they write, defining moments actually rewire our understanding of ourselves and our world. Think about it. As a parent, I can create a defining moment for my kids, a moment that, that is soul-shaping, that will rewire their understanding of themselves and the world around them. As a, as a spouse or as a friend, as a coworker or an employer, I don't have to wait for defining moments. I can actually handcraft defining moments that rewire and reshape their understanding of who they are and the world around them. And here's what's so amazing about Jesus. After the resurrection, he doesn't wait for Peter to come to him. He handcrafts a defining moment for Peter. Jesus is going to extend the reality of the resurrection personally to Peter. Because I think this is where some of us, the resurrection, that's really great for you and for everyone else. And what Jesus wants to say is no, it's precisely for you. And it's personal. Well, Peter, he went back to the boat, and he was such a leader that even some of his other disciples followed him. I mean, even in his wandering, other people are going, yeah, I'll go with you. They're back on the boat. They're fishing. They're fishing all night. At insult to injury, they catch nothing. I don't know how good they were as fishermen. Every time I read, they, they, they didn't catch anything. Jesus shows up early in the morning. He's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he, he calls out to the boat, how's the fishing? That's what you say when somebody, you pass by a fisherman, by the way. Are the fish biting? Right? That's, I mean, come on. That's what you ask. You see somebody fishing, you're like, how's the fishing? And he answered how a lot of fishermen answer. Got nothing. And then I, I don't know. Oh man, think about this. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus kind of laughed before he said this next line. I mean, just kind of like chuckled to himself. He's like, this is gonna be so good. <laughs> oh man. I mean, you gotta just know God has a sense of humor. Why don't you try the other side? Oh, so that's what we were doing wrong all night long. We were on this side of the boat, and the fish are over here. That's the problem. Try the other side. <laughs> and they did. They're like, hey, you know what? It, nothing worked all night long. Might as well. What do we have to lose? They try the other side. And they pull in such a catch, it's huge. And Peter recognizes what's happening in the moment. He's so excited. He doesn't even wait for them to get into shore. He jumps in and swims ashore. He leaves all his buddy to drag in the fish. And he meets Jesus on the shore. And he has a fire, a charcoal fire with breakfast prepared right there. And they sit down and eat together. Now listen. Listen to what Jesus does for Peter in this moment. 
as he handcrafts a defining moment. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your past? Do you love me more than the nets and your trade? Do you love me even more than your failure? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Three times Jesus looks at Peter around this fire and says, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. It's no accident that Jesus handcrafts this defining moment by by bringing him back to the first time he was called. The first time where he sat in the boat and Jesus told him to cast out and they pull in this huge catch and he says, this moment has the same weight and significance as the first moment I called you. Remember that moment? Remember when I gave you a meaning and a purpose and a calling greater? Remember when you stepped out on this grand adventure when when you didn't feel worthy, but I said you're worthy and I invited you in? Do you remember that moment? This moment has that same weight and significance. And something we miss, the text says it was around a charcoal fire. And we see in the gospel accounts that as Peter disowned Jesus, it was around a charcoal fire. Around a charcoal fire, he caved and he crumbled. And the thing that would remind him of his failure was so common around him. He would see it daily. That charcoal fire reminds me, brings me back. Isn't it true there's things in your life that constantly bring you back, that moment of failure, and it's a word, it's a song, it's, a, it's an event, and it just brings you back, and it was this charcoal fire that would be this stamp of remembrance for him to say, you are unworthy, you're a failure. And Jesus intentionally goes to that, and he builds a new fire. He says, I want you to have a new memory, and we're going to create a new moment around this charcoal fire together. And he says something interesting. Do you love me? In the Greek, there's a few words for love. Um, One of them is the word agape. And here's the word Jesus uses. Do you agape me? Agape is this unconditional, self-sacrificial love. Agape is this self-giving. It's giving the other person what they need the most when they deserve it the least. This is how God in Christ has loved us. It is an unconditional, unrestrained, self-giving love. Peter, do you agape me? And then Peter responds, yes, Lord, but he doesn't use that word. He says, yes, Lord, I love you, but he uses the Greek word phileo. Phileo, you may recognize it from the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's, it's the word for a friendship love. 
Peter, who was so boastful and prideful and braggadocious, who, who claimed, I'll never disown you, realize, you know what, I'm not going to say something I can't keep. I wish I could agape you. I wish I had that, but I recognize my brokenness, my feebleness, my inadequacy. Yes, Lord, I love you. I phileo you. That's all I got. That's all I can give. That's all I can bring. Is that enough? Jesus' response to Peter's confession of love is so powerful. You denied me three times. You disowned me. And yet, what he doesn't say, what he doesn't say is, okay, if you really love me, why'd you deny me? What Jesus doesn't say is, how could you? The classic one that we use as parents, I've used it, I'm sorry, I shouldn't. What were you thinking? That's all shame, isn't it? That moment around the fire, I don't know what Peter expected, but he knew Jesus. He knew the God of mercy, the God of grace. And so he was excited to run to him and be with him. And honestly, if, if we're kind of speaking in human terms, I, I would imagine Peter was expecting a demotion and Jesus gave him a promotion. <laughs> Jesus called him to originally to be a fisher of men and now around this fire, after his biggest failure, he sits there and he calls him to be a shepherd of his sheep. Jesus called himself the good shepherd and he says, now I want you to do what I did. Instead of rejection, Jesus gave Peter a new direction. Instead of criticism, he gave him a calling. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Three times. Three times Peter denied Jesus. And three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? In this moment is this defining moment of wiping away that moment, rewiring his understanding of himself in light of the grace of Jesus. And here's what I love. The third time Jesus doesn't say, do you agape me? You know what he said? He said, do you phileo me? He says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you agape me? Do you love me? And then the third time, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? See, Jesus met Peter right where he was at. He didn't call him to a standard that was impossible that he had to rise up. You have a God who meets you right where you're at, who moves to where you're at, and who responds to what you have in you, not what you ought have in you. He says, you just bring the little you have, and I'm going to meet you right there in that moment. From this day forward, this moment after the resurrection, this was Peter's defining moment. This was the moment when the resurrection became personal for Peter. You know, one of the great gifts in life is the ability to choose. There's an even greater gift, though. It's the gift of being chosen. You may have never heard this 
Or perhaps you forgot this. You've been chosen by God. You are wanted by God. You are loved by God. After the resurrection, Jesus pursued Peter. And by the way, he isn't finished. He is pursuing you even now in this moment. Handcrafting, defining moments where the resurrection then becomes personal. Where you experience his love and his grace. Peter's buddy, his fishing buddy, John, would say it this way, that there's, this is the good news that the, the resurrection, that for God so loved. Like that's our starting point, that's our standing place, that, that God is not against you, he's not angry at you, he's not out to get you, he's not sitting up in heaven with arms crossed going, when you get your life you know, together when you get fixed up. Oh, you did that? Mm. It's like, no, no, no. Your, your, your beginning place with me is love. Like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm for you. How do I know? How do you know that God loves you? Well, who does he love? He says, for God so loved the world. Not just the right people. Not just the people who have it all together. Not who have it just completely you know, their act together. It's Easter. We put on good clothes. I tuck my shirt in. It's a big day for me. And we kind of think that, right? I got to get cleaned up for God. And he says, no, I'm pursuing you. I'm going to meet you right where you're at. I love every single person in this room with a love that never varies. How do you know? That he gave his one and only son. You know, every other religion has this idea of us working our way to God. Christianity is the only religion where God has worked his way to you. Where God is pursuing you. That God has left the heavens, as Chesterton wrote, and he has come to set things right and bring it right with you. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever, are you a whoever? Whoever. 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 Like, think about the openness of that invitation. How expansive that is. Whoever. Like who? Who? Whoever? Ever? Like are you in an ever? Like right here? Whoever? Open invitation. Like the doors are open wide regardless of where you've come from, your background, orientation, life, stage, all those sort of things. Whoever believes. Like it can't be that simple. It is. Like, I just simply take you at your word that you love me, that I put my trust into you. I'm going to stop putting my trust into me. I'm going to stop trying to work my way and somehow good my way to God. I'm going to trust that you have made me good based on what you did on the cross. And so I'm going to put my faith in you. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus because he is alive, he's creating defining moments right now in this room with you, will be saved. Whoever believes shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. Eternal life in the gospel isn't just life after you die. We've got to wrestle with that, like what happens when we die? That's important. But eternal life is life to the full now forevermore. The invitation of the gospel isn't something, you know, it's not fire insurance after you die. The invitation of the gospel is that in this moment when you cry out, when you sit around that fire, the fire of your rejection, the fire of your shame, the fire of your failure that you felt like would keep you from God, and Jesus has this defining moment with you, and he says, I'm going to make that fire into something brand new, and I'm going to call you and meet you and say that you're loved, and when you receive that, you step into life to the full purpose peace joy you move from just trying to survive through life he says I want you to thrive like like I want you to experience life instead of just eking your way The God of the universe wants to have a defining moment with you. Right here in this moment, Easter Sunday. And the question, the question in this room is, will you respond to the invitation? Will you respond? Jesus is inviting. Jesus is calling. This moment has been handcrafted by the God of the universe for you to encounter him. And will you respond? Will you say yes? I had no idea. I had no idea what hung in the balance that day I asked Jenny to be my bride. You have no idea what hangs in the balance when you say yes to the invitation of Jesus. This moment, this moment is a defining moment. 421, for some in this room will be the moment you said yes to Jesus, you gave your life, you passed from eking your way through life and death to stepping into a brand new life and experiencing a love so profound it will fill all the rest of your days. And so I just want to invite you into that moment. Would you pray with me as we close? And for those in this room where you have never said yes to Jesus, you've never had that defining moment, or maybe you're the Peter that has walked away, come to church and walked away, and come to church and walked away. In this moment, you would have a defining moment with Jesus where you would say, yes, Lord, And I want you just simply to pray in your heart after me. Heavenly Father, I need you. I believe you sent your son for me, that you love me, that you died on the cross for all the pain and shame and things that I've done, and you rose again that I might have life with you. Today, I place my trust in you. I say yes to the invitation. Would you come into my life and make me new?
And if you wouldn't mind, if you just wouldn't mind keeping your eyes closed, I would love to know if this was a defining moment for you this morning, would you raise your hands and just go, yes, I said yes to the invitation. I said yes to Jesus. Go ahead. Thank, praise God. Raise your hands high. Yes. Keep praising them. Keep them up high. Very cool. Amazing. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that you handcraft moments to meet with us. That you are constantly pursuing us. And God, I pray for everyone in this room that the resurrection after this day would be personal. In Jesus' name, amen.